Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Peak Community Church. Our scripture this morning is from 2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to read the first 10 verses, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you, through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Verse eight, do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel and the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, stir in us the coals of faith. May your spirit be the breath that blows on them to make them glow and ignite. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, very special Sunday in our community, Baptism Sunday. And um, in those waters stood four different people. They said what they believed and they joined with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. There's a very old statement of faith that comes out of baptism in the church, and it's called the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed, maybe some of you grew up with this. Maybe you grew up having to say it every Sunday. Um, I, I did for about half of my upbringing, up until grade six. Uh, I had to learn it in confirmation. I, we said it on Sunday, and so it's forever ingrained into my memory. And, and maybe some of you know it. Maybe some of you had to say it. Um, and I don't know if there's actually different versions or if there's the one. But in case you don't know the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to recite it for you. Um, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is a creed that essentially comes from those very early baptisms. At those very early baptisms, they would ask the candidate for baptism three questions. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in God the Son? Do you believe 
in God the Holy Spirit, which is what I asked the baptismal candidates last week. And they would say yes. And so from those three questions came the Apostles' Creed, because the Apostles' Creed is in three parts. It talks about God the Father, talks about God the Son, and talks about God the Holy Spirit. That's where we get it. It didn't come from a council, the church. It didn't come from a, um, a political compromise in the church. Um, it didn't come from a couple super smart theologians. It came from baptism. And, and there's a legend that says that uh, each of the 12 parts of the Apostles' Creed was written by one of the apostles. And, and that is just a legend, but it gives you this sense of how it comes from our earliest ideas of the church. The Bible is our authority. Is there a way, any way, to summarize the Bible when we bring people to baptism? And out of that question grew the Apostles' Creed. It gives us the main theme of the scriptures, of who God is. And so for the next several weeks, I want to take a look at the Apostles' Creed. This is unusual for me. This is unusual for us. Uh, I will have scripture every week. Um, but it's unusual to look at a creed. One reason is because we're... We're not a creedal people. We don't say it every Sunday. Um, what we say is there's no creed but Christ. Um, uh, we, we, uh, there's an important reason for this. Uh, historically, creeds have been used as weapons um, to say who's in, who's out, you know, as a way of bludgeoning, you know, and saying you're not allowed here, you're not one of us, that kind of thing. Um, it's been used as a tool of persecution, and so um, uh, we, we have not highlighted it like some other traditions have. But there's a flip side to that. There's a flip side to that, and the, question, the flip side is, well, what do we believe? You know, so, so we don't have a creed that we recite every Sunday, but you know, is there anything we do believe in? And I think now, now you very rarely find somebody throwing around the creed like a weapon. But you find more often hardly anyone agreeing on what they believe in. There's a great quote attributed to John Wesley, who was a major influence on our tradition, although he may not have said it, but it doesn't matter because it's good. And it goes like this. Uh, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. Charity or love. Let me say it again, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty, and all things love. Um, isn't that nice? Isn't that a great way to go? We, just, we should just all do that. Of course, the only question is, which is which? What's essential and what isn't? How do we know? Um, how, how, do, how do we know what those things are? How do we know we're not gonna be in a conversation and we blurt something out, and somebody just you know, gasps and clutches their pearls and says, you shouldn't be a part of this. We have to know what the essentials are. We have to know what the non-essentials are. Um, and then we have to know how to act in love. I think that by looking at the creed for the next several weeks, I think we're going to discover what this looks like. I think we're going to get clarity on this sense of non-essential and essential. And so this morning, I'm going to begin with the first three words of the creed, I believe in. I'm just going to talk about I believe in and focus on faith and focus on the nature of faith itself. 
And we can do that really well by looking at Paul's letter to Timothy. In, in the beginning of Paul's second letter to Timothy, he talks about faith in two ways. He says, first of all, that faith is something that's inherited, it's passed down. And then the second thing about faith is that it's alive, that it lives in people. So let's talk about what we mean by an inherited faith. This fits perfectly with the Apostles' Creed because Apostles' Creed is as old as dust. And yet here we are still thinking it's important. Faith is inherited. In the scripture, it says that faith lived in his grandmother and his mother. Um, You know, this is a really common theme in scripture. Uh, You have uh, Moses and the midwives preserving something, preserving one generation, Moses' mother and the midwives preserving one generation for another. you have Ruth and, and Hannah, again, ensuring the passing of generations. Um, and, then, and then Mary, over her newborn son, Jesus, brings to bear all the prophets in her song called the Magnificat. Uh, she's bringing all of it to bear over her newborn son, Jesus. Uh, this is an overlooked theme that, um, that women are the bearers of faith throughout scripture. Um, But this idea of of faith getting passed down, I think it makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes Um, because because we're, you know, we're in a time when we when we feel as though we ought to know what we believe for ourselves. So I used to I used to work like an overnight shift and I had the radio on all night. It was just me. Actually, sometimes there was this other guy and he liked classic rock and I would get so annoyed. I hate classic rock. That's uh, there's some songs. Okay, whatever, different topic. Um, uh, but but, it, but I would, I, I, whenever I had it, I, I like to listen to stories, I like to listen to the news, and overnight it's usually the BBC because they're all awake and we're all asleep, and so I'd have the BBC on. But there was one radio show that I always looked forward to, it's called This I Believe, maybe you're familiar with it. Um, this I Believe has been around a really long time, in fact it went away and then it kind of came back. And they would just get people, usually famous people, to come up and say, you know, just tell us what you believe. And so this is a really interesting premise because it's this idea that we all believe something unique and different. And so let's figure out what each unique person believes in. I listened to a lot of these, and one of the most interesting things I found is that everyone pretty much believes the same thing. I heard a lot of people talk about the power of the human spirit. A lot of people believe that children are the future. Um, A lot of people uh, believe in some particular thing that they happen to be interested in. So bugs, math, healthcare, whatever it is, right? So these these little, you know, I believe in this, I believe in this. But but at the end of the day, you know, as unique as we we all are, we we tend to be quite similar. so some of you have performed weddings. Ed has performed more than any of us combined, I'm sure. And uh, one of the most interesting things I've noticed about weddings is that when people write their own vows, surprisingly, the vows that they write are not nearly as original as they had hoped. Um, they, 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 they tend to sound the same too. Um, and then the, the old vows tend to be kind of shocking, you know, kind, kind of unsettling, you know, for better or for worse. Riches, poverty, sickness, health, death do us part. Uh, It's hard to get better than that. Um, 
one more example as a church person, you know, I, I, I'm around churches a lot, I interact with churches a lot, I, other churches too, and one of the churches like to do is mission statements. We all like to do mission statements. And, you know, it's this idea that, you know, what makes us unique as a church? Almost every mission statement is love God and love other people. All the same. Some version of that. We're going to love God and we're going to love other people. And some of them can spend thousands of dollars on a consulting firm to come up with that. And it's pretty clear in the Bible. My, my, my point in all of this is that um, we, we, we like to think, we want to think that our... That, that, that true belief, authentic belief, is something that we come up with on our own. But in fact, true and authentic belief might be something that it comes completely outside of us and is completely beyond us. It's something that we inherited from Eunice and Lois, our grandmother and our mother. Or it's something that, that um, we walked into some strange community and they were saying strange things about God the Father and Spirit. And we just decided to make those a part of our belief system. And what is the beauty of this is that by having beliefs like this, they're not so culturally situated that we, that we uh, don't end up just mirroring the larger culture. It wasn't that long ago when the larger cultural culture thought some humans were indispensable. It wasn't that long ago that the larger culture thought, you know, there's, there's different kinds of humans, there's different levels of human, and, and some are just not so intelligent, or some are not worth keeping around. That was in the air. That was the stuff we breathed. And it took something like the Apostles' Creed, something like scriptures, to be able to remind everyone of the dignity of all creatures, all humans. This is why we need something outside of ourselves to help us understand um, uh, to, to help us understand true faith. So that's, an, that's what an inherited faith looks like. That doesn't mean you, don't have, you can't make it your own. And that's the second piece of this. You can't rely on an inherited faith. Um, this is why baptism is so important, because at some point, you know, if, if faith is something we receive like a seed, we have to plant it at some point. We have to make it our own. And so that's the second part of what Paul's talking to Timothy about. He says, yes, yes, an inherited faith. It lives in you, but what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Um, I, you know, I was talking to the kids about, you were here. Um, uh, I, I was talking to the kids about inheriting things. And, and I love this quote from the composer Gustav Mahler, who said, tradition is not a hat. It's a flame. So the thing that we inherit from others, whether it's a community, the thing that we inherit from others, whether it's our parents, whoever it is, um, it's not something we wear. It's not necklace, you know, with like a little cross on it. It's not um, a way of dressing. It's something that lives in us like a flame. What do we do with this flame? Paul says to Timothy, you have to tend it. You have to stoke the coals. Belief is the very starting point of this, but it has to grow in us. God is trustworthy, but how do we know God's trustworthy? Do we have a mathematical proof? What do we do? How do we find out whether or not God is trustworthy? God says, I can forgive your whole past, 
God says, I can take your whole past, all the years that the locusts have eaten, and I can redeem it all. And then God says, the future doesn't have to be a threat anymore. The future can be secure and you can live without fear your whole life. You don't even have to fear death. God promises that too. And God says you can live fully in the present to love completely and not have to be concerned or to protect yourself. God promises all these things. How do we know God is trustworthy? There's not a proof. You just have to practice it. That's how you tend the coals of faith. You have to live it. Now, you, now you just start, okay? You just, you just make a start. You know, this is why I don't make a big deal out of like little kids getting baptized because nobody fully comprehends it when they get baptized. Nobody. I still don't fully comprehend the mystery of faith. We're all still learning and growing this. This is all a, a process of understanding, but it has to start with us beginning to trust it. And then once we do, we'll begin to see forgiveness happen in the past. We'll begin to see hope in the future. And we'll begin to see love in the present. So I'm glad you're here. That's part of being here, is, is dipping your feet into the water to test this faith that God has promised to us. We don't have to wait till we're dead. We can begin to receive the benefits now. But what is it that we are actually believing? Let's go back to that. Let's go back to what I started with, the essentials. So what are the essentials? I've talked about the Apostles' Creed. Is, it, is that it? Is the essentials just this, the elements of the Apostles' Creed, a set of principles? Is that all it is? As we, as we look and work through the creed, it's really important for us to think of it not as a statement of faith. You know, sometimes churches will have a statement of faith and it's sort of like, you've got to believe this, 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 this. Uh, traditionally, the, the Apostles' Creed was known as articles of faith. Um, that word article, uh, it's just, you know, you, whenever you move your fingers, they articulate. Okay? Articulate means to sort of bend and be connected. So the Apostles' Creed is more like something that's all connected. It's sort of like one thing that folds into three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then keeps unfolding like that. So, okay, so it's all connected. It's not a set of principles. And how is it connected? It's all connected to one thing. And I think uh, theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar says it the best. He says, we never believe in a set of principles but rather in a single reality which unfolds itself to us, for us, and in us, and is at the same time our highest truth and deepest salvation. I should read that again. I'm going to do it. We never believe in a set of principles, but rather in a single reality which unfolds itself to us, for us, and in us, and is at the same time our highest truth and deepest salvation. What is this highest truth? What is this deepest salvation that is unfolding itself toward us? What is this fire of faith that has been revealed at all, revealed to us? What is this grace that abolishes death and brings immortality to light? We say that we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit only because God in Jesus also stood in a river 
at one point in his life. He stood in the midst of the world. He stood in the chaos of the world. He stood in the swirling mess of it. And he confessed his belief to the Father that there would be room not only for the love between them, but room for all of us in their love. There will be room for the Father's love, room for our love, room for all of our mistakes, room for all of our doubt, room for all of our questions, room for all of our joy, room for all of our thanksgiving in the love between Father and Son brought to us by the Spirit. God believes in us. In all things, there is love. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Hallelujah. Go in peace.